Good morning, everybody. You know, when we look at our world today, it can be very easy to be depressed. For example, I want to read some headlines to you from the last several months. Um, one's Target partners with Satanist designer for gay pride collection. Schools override parents' requests to remove sexually explicit books from the school library. Texas Children's Hospital announces plan to end sex change program for the minors. CEO vows to refer patients out of state. Corruption in the U.S. is at worst levels in almost a decade. In 2022, the budget deficit in the U.S. is $1.375 trillion. Casualties on both sides of the war in the Ukraine have increased. Tensions between China and Hong Kong have never been higher. In 2023, the COVID infections are rising in China. Baptist Church officially welcomes one of the few openly transgender Baptist ministers as their new pastor. Pretty depressing, isn't it? And when we look at all of that, it seems like our world is falling apart. And often the devil just wants us to give up and write everything off as a lost cause. So what is the answer? How do we solve this problem? How do we fight against this? And today I want to share with you what God's been putting on my heart, on how we can make a change. And now if you're thinking, oh no, he's going to talk about politics, I'm not. Don't worry, there's no politics involved in the answer of this. Because if you think about it, if you had every politician that you think is great elected, and they all got everything in that you think is great, we might make some rules that protect the unborn, outlaw sexual perversion, maybe even balance the budget. Sounds good, but would it actually change things? You can't legislate lives being changed. And how many souls would come to Christ just because we had the right legislators in office? I don't think very many. But as Christians, it's really easy for us to focus too much on what people do instead of who they're serving. We like to think, well, you know, if everyone stopped the sexual perversion and we stopped all this other stuff, our lives would be easier. Yes, it might be because we're not thinking about how the strides that the devil is making, but we're not changing lives. We often allow the devil to tap dance all over our front yard with distractions. If you think about it, what are Bible-believing churches often known for by non-Christians? It's often for criticizing the LGBTQ community, or they say they're, they're hypocrites, or they just want my money. They have preconceived ideas that being a Christian is just all about the rules, Churches should be known for loving sinners. If you read the Gospels, you'll see, who did Jesus spend the most time with? Sinners. He was criticized for it constantly. Did he endorse what they were doing? Absolutely not. He was leading them away from sin. Our reputation as Christians should be showing God's love and being concerned about the destination of souls. Jesus told us the two most important commandments are, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. But very often in my life, I'm selfish with that. I focus on just the love between me and God. And I don't think that I really have to do anything beyond that. 
And it's really easy to sit behind our church walls and in our easy chairs at home and to criticize what's going on in the world. But are we doing anything about it? Very often not. It's kind of like an army who constantly studies on how to go to war. But when the enemy comes into their country and starts destroying things, their answer is, we need to keep studying how to go to war. They're not actually going out and doing the fight. We have to be careful with that. We need to be motivated to move on. We've all been put here on this earth for a purpose. God made each one of us to do something specific. And we have to find that plan for us. He made that plan is your mission assignment. In Matthew 25, Jesus says, it's 2531, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of these least of, brothers, least of these brothers and sisters of mine you did for me. Then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. And then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. When I'm reading this, it seems interesting that it almost seems like this is a qualification to get into heaven. We know our salvation is not based on works. But when we realize that the Son of God gave his life so we can escape hell, we're going to live differently. I want to say that again. When the Son of God gave his life to save us from hell, and we accept that, we will live differently. If someone died to save you, are you going to live your life in honor of what they did? Absolutely. If you want to live your life the way that honor their sacrifice, you think carefully on what you're doing. The um, movie Saving Private Ryan, um, I hadn't watched it in a long time, and I watched it again the other day. In watching them work through getting through the process of getting to Private Ryan and saving him, multiple people died. It was a long and complex mission. And we want to watch a clip of Captain John Miller talking to Private Ryan on the end as he's dying, because I want to talk about how you live when someone died for you. So, Brett, we can play that clip. 
They're tank busters, sir. P-51s. <laughs> Angels on our shoulders. What, sir? So he says, earn this. Now, we're not earning our salvation, but we are living as though someone died for us. Because we did. And not just someone, the Son of God, died for us. It should change our lives. It should change our perspective. It should make us look for what God wants us to do and how we can change the world. If you're living your life in such a way that you're honoring what God has done for you, and you've accepted Christ's death on the cross for our salvation, we're now on God's team. and We need to act like it. We need to find where we're supposed to be. Sadly, too many of us give our lives to Christ, and then we start making our plans, and we simply want God's stamp of approval on our plans. We just want to see that approved, and everything's going to work out because I gave my life to Christ. And we live backwards. Instead of finding out what God wants us to do, we're trying to get him to approve ours. So we need to look through this. And my challenge for you this morning is how to find your mission, find why you're here. It makes an amazing difference when you know what your mission is. I've been blessed to witness people who have really found their mission in my work in the Ukraine. One of the examples I'm going to give you is a pastor named Vadim. He spends much of his time going out to villages, delivering humanitarian aid, and he doesn't just deliver humanitarian aid. He's constantly sharing God's love. He's an expert at this because he's learned his mission. They've unloaded their van under sniper fire. They've had to run across points with boxes unloading and constantly being shot, across, shot at from across the river. They've slept in hotels with big holes blown in it with no heat and no electricity. They've given up time with their families, and they leave not knowing if their families will be there when they get back. But yet they're going because they know their mission. They know what God has called them to do. God's used Pastor Vadim to start churches and change lives. When the war started, he had just started a very tiny church. The war started, and most of the people evacuated from his church. But very soon, his city was overrun with refugees. And now his church is outgrowing the building they're in because of how many people are coming to Christ, simply because he's willing to stick with the mission that God gave him in sharing his love and loving on others. Uh, another man that I met, Pastor Andre, he lives in the city of Kharkov, which is 20 miles from the border of Russia. So it's a very hotly contested zone. He and his wife before the war were called to be missionaries there. When the war started, they decided to stay, even though they have a house in western Ukraine that would be very safe. They would, could leave any time. But they decided God wanted them to stay there. Soon they were helping people with the evacuations, and as the war raged on, they're specialized in helping invalids and people who can't move. They are going into freed villages as quickly as they can to help feed them, but they are literally taking bicycles and going down small trails to go into these towns and to help people, and risking their lives. They have to go on bicycles because cars always get blown up. 
but they've learned how to sneak in that way. Many of the people in these villages are on the edge of starvation because once the Russians take it over, there's a curfew put on and you only get to come out about two hours every day. And so when they finally push the Russians out, the villagers are normally hanging on to the edge of life sometimes. So they convince the um, Ukrainian military to let them go in as quickly as possible to help with that. Some of the stories we hear out of this are, are very amazing. One time, they, um, a village had just got freed. They convinced the Russian, I mean, the Ukrainian army to let them go in and feed the people. They went into the middle of the village, and they have to cook over wood fires since they don't have other ways to do that. It takes a while to get the food ready. And they got the fire ready, got cooking, and they had just set the food on the tables to start serving, and they heard a noise at the end of the street, and it was a Russian military vehicle. A Russian soldier stuck his head out, fired an RPG, or a rocket-propelled grenade for the unmilitary people. I have to say that so I remember what it is. Um, fired a, an RPG down the street right past them. It hit a sign, bounced off, hit the street, and laid right in front of them smoking. He said, we stood there, our mouths hanging open, our spoons, serving spoons stuck in the air. And I thought, well, I'm going to be in heaven any minute now. And it just laid there and did absolutely nothing. So he said, I turned to my helper beside me, and I said, well, the people are still hungry. We better feed them. And they went back to feeding the people. There's story after story of these people of amazing things that God has done to protect them while they're on their mission. And God gives them an enormous amount of peace about going and doing this because they know what their mission is. Um, Pastor Roman and his wife, Ina, they live across the river from the Zaporozhye nuclear plant. Um, this town gets hit with about 50 shells every day. Usually they're the smaller ones, but they still do quite a lot of damage. No one dares shoot back at them simply because the nuclear plant should not be hit. They don't want that to blow up. So the Russians are using this for their advantage. And um, actually, I just saw this morning now that they flooded the whole area and they're working with evacuations because they blew up a huge dam. So there's a lot going on there. But this pastor and his wife... There again, they have the opportunity to leave, but they don't. They stay, and they have a, a crew of people that stay with them. They're currently working with 400 children who are stuck there for multiple reasons. Some of them are orphans. Some of them are in foster care. Some of them are part of large families where there's handicap, and they can't get them out. So they're feeding these children several times a week. They're doing a lot of things that help with children psychologically, just games and other fun things, teaching them about Christ teaching them to be brave and that God is with them, simply helping them and staying there. And now there's over 100 adults that are also showing up, and they're sharing God's love. The last time when I was there, you could hear explosions in the background. Um, they actually didn't think we were going to show up that day because it was pretty bad, but it was very quiet where we are, right in that area. And it's to the point now where the apartments around their church are in high demand because God's protecting them right now. The city around it is getting hit constantly, but where they are is not getting hit. And they told me, we don't know why, but we're not getting hit. And I told them, I know why. God's simply protecting you. Because you're on his mission. You're changing lives because he called you to. So I'm always amazed when I go and visit and watch the lives of the people who are doing these things. They're not only serving physical needs, they're also serving spiritual needs. 
And the two of those go hand in hand. It's amazing the, what the people say. Uh, one of the pastors was up in an area where no one had been since the war had started and the Russians had evacuated. There was no help there. And they, they told us, they thought we were, maybe the Russians were better. There's nobody helping us. But when the churches started coming in and helping, and they said, we're seeing how God loves us through the church, they're changing. I could, I could spend all morning and several other mornings telling story after story how God's working there. Because these people are simply willing to stand up and say, I'm here, use me, God. And when he gives them the mission, they know about it. One of the major differences I've discovered between our churches and the churches I'm working with in the Ukraine is they have a little different focus. And of course, a lot of it's because of the war. So don't get me wrong, I'm not criticizing us. I'm just, these are things that are noticed that are goals for us to work on too. One of the women there that is a major force in working with children in previously occupied Russian villages, she was actually a missionary in China until the war started. She's been undercover for many years, has a whole different identity because her mission work in China was a high-risk one, and now she's high-risk in a whole other way. But she's going where God called her, and she makes a very big difference there. We often don't think of churches in poor countries having thriving mission plans. But these do. They're planning to expand. They have a plan that the war's o- when the war's over and how they're going to expand into Russia. They want the Russians also to give their lives to Christ and live for him. They're changing the world. And they do not have the resources that we do. When you go to one of their churches on a Sunday morning, it's mostly old men, women, and young boys as teenagers because the gap, the rest of them are in the army. But these churches are working together to make drastic differences. The, one of the instances that still makes me tear up a little bit when I think about it is I was spoke in a church, and we were headed off to one of the front towns to help with some things. And after the service, an older lady came up to me, and she gave me, which in our money would not be a lot, but it was about all the money she needed for a week of food. She handed it to me and said, find somebody who needs it more than me. So they're willing to give up a lot more. They're willing to sacrifice, not just to help physically, but to change the world. And it's been quite a challenge to me. So I'm, like I said, I want you to understand, I'm not criticizing our churches or churches here. I just want to encourage us to grow, to press on. Here at Harvest, we're growing rapidly, and we're making an impact on our community But each one of us should be making an impact in our lives, in our circles. We need to ask God, what did you create me for? Because I guarantee he didn't create us just to get up in the morning, go through the motions, pay the bills, go back home. Those are all important things to do, and I'm not saying stop that. But in that, find what you're supposed to be doing. Find out why you're here. Often... It's pretty simple as we start off with a mission. It's just love others. Because if you don't know what your mission is, there it is, love others. Seems very generic, but as we love others, he shows us where and how. And as we learn to reflect God's love, he opens doors and he shows us specifically where we're supposed to be. One of the most important things that God's been working with me is knowing the importance of, it's the importance of knowing my mission. It makes a really big difference in how to make decisions. They're suddenly a lot easier if you know exactly what God wants you to do. So when something comes up, it helps with that. 
God has used a lot of different things in my life. I lived in the Ukraine in the 1990s, had a lot of experiences, um, was almost killed in an accident. Doctors told me I shouldn't be alive. And that helped clarify my life. Because I realized if I'm left here, I'm left here for a reason, and I need to find out what that is. And one of the examples of how that helped me, um, in August 10th, 1996, at 12.30 a.m., the reason I know that time is I had just turned 21 years old. I was sitting on the border between Poland and the Ukraine on a train. A soldier burst into my room, told me to get my things and get off the train. I'd just gone to Warsaw. I was getting parts for a van that we were using to take aid out to starving people. At that point, I was there because the economy had collapsed. Their money was worthless, and we had a lot of people starving simply because they couldn't afford food. The soldier used his rifle and motioned me to get down the ladder, made me walk down a railroad track for about half a mile. Now, if you know the slant break on the front of an AK-style rifle, I can still tell you 25 years later exactly where that poked me the whole way down the railroad track. Kind of sticks in your head after a while. He threw me in a little room with a guard, and he left. All night, various officials would come in. I was on a bench, and they would come in, and they would sit right beside me and put their mouth about this far away from my ear and yell at me. This went on until about 8 in the morning. But I knew my mission, and I knew what was happening. They simply wanted me to pay them off so that they would let me go. All the money I had on me was to help starving people. So no matter what they did, I was on a mission. And because God had showed me earlier how to stick with a mission, it actually wasn't that hard. Yes, the in, being poked down the railroad track with a rifle on your back is traumatic, but when you know what God wants you to do, it's not as hard to do. So that's just an example of what God can do if you know your mission. You also, when you know your mission, sin is a lot less of a distraction. I can tell you that. When I start feeling tempted with things or getting tied up in the world's things, I know I'm not on my mission anymore. I know I'm not walking in exactly what God wants me to do. I'm not getting up in the morning and saying, God, what's for today? Because when you're on God's mission, I can honestly say there's mornings you get up with your plans, and you have to take those plans, crumple them up, throw in the trash can, and go back in and say, all right, God, I'm on the wrong track. What do you want for me today? And when you are willing to do that, it really changes your perspective. Now, I used a lot of extreme examples this morning of how to do on different missions, and those may not fit in all of our lives. But your mission can be some very simple things. Like one of your missions can be, I want everyone I meet to know that I love God. Sounds simple. But what if you take it as a detailed challenge? Everyone you meet somehow sees that you love God. We're goal-oriented as men. We often are driven in business and other things. What if we would be that driven in our goals to know the mission of serving God and changing the world? Another one is I want to help influence the next generation to live for God. That can be a hard one. Men, we are needed to change the next generation. We can't just watch it go on. We can't leave it up to the schools, the church, and all that. We need to be involved. We need to change this. And there again, as men, 
if we look at it and we become goal-oriented and we know exactly what we're doing and why we're doing it, it will change it. It will make it a lot easier. I, um, when my, about 15 years ago, my wife and I decided that we need to help with two-year-olds at church. Now, I'll tell you, two-year-olds is not my favorite age. I like kids, but they're not my favorite age. But they needed me and, and to help with that. So I made a goal out of this. My goal was that no two-year-old comes in that room and cries for more than five minutes. I was going to figure out how to stop them crying. And so that goal helped me work through my mission. So sometimes God helps us to break it down. But when you're on a mission and you know what it is, it changes how you do things, and you will change the world. Another one is, and this is one that I like to do a lot, I want to look where God is moving and find where I can help. One of the reasons I keep going back to the Ukraine, and honestly, I'll admit, I come back from the Ukraine every time and I ask God, can I be done, please? One of the hardest things I've done. But he keeps telling me, no, it's time to go back again. But when you go where God is moving, you can be inspired. Sometimes that's the easiest thing to do when your mission is not clear. It's just look around you. God's moving in our church. We're growing. We're changing. So we're here to help. We're excited about it. But find out, is this an area where I'm supposed to help? Is this an area where he wants me? I also, another challenge can be is I want to use the earthly blessings God has given me to expand his kingdom. Maybe you're great at business. Maybe you're great at making money. Use it. God can give you a mission in that. Our missions will all change. And throughout life, if I look at my where God has called me, it's changed a lot. But be willing to listen and ask God what you want to do. But I'm going to warn you on this too. If you're open to whatever mission God has for you, your life's going to be far from boring. So if you're bored, you feel stuck, it's because you have not found the mission that God has for you. We need to find it. Because when you're making a difference in this world and you're changing lives for Christ, you will be fulfilled in what he has for you. So I'm going to challenge us all. Ask God, what's my mission? And not just once, multiple times a day, when you get up in the morning, find out what's my mission. And like I said earlier, if it's simply love others, write it down somewhere. Be constantly reminded what it is. And that love others will turn directly into finding areas where God can use you. So God made all of us with a plan. And I'm challenging you, find it and use it. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for designing us in a special way. Thank you for having a plan for us. I just pray that you would help us to find your plan. Help us to be willing and open to what you want for us. I just pray for each one of us here and our families that you would be able to use us to change the world. We ask all this in your name. Love you. Amen.